by the way, my show notes are on my phone. I am not tweeting while we talk or, or looking at porn. You're fine. Either way. I mean, you know, <laughs> porn's important, right? Porn's important. I have to be careful when I give Dan my phone. <laughs> this week on Erotic Awakening, blood play, play, but not for you. Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. If you are offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. Thank you, patron supporters. We really dig the fact that you're helping <laughs> us out. You too could be a patron supporter. Head over to patreon.com slash erotic awakening today and get your bonus content and support the show. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dawn. Did I miss some bits there? No, not really. Okay, good, good. It's just that this music seems to be longer now and our ending music seems to be shorter. <laughs> I, yes, so that's the, you'd think after 15 years of doing a podcast, we'd have that straight, but nope. This week on Erotic Awakening, we are going to talk about a type of play that I know nearly nothing about. And Dawn, I think you have only accidentally experienced it. <laughs> That's well, true. yes, because I, I can recall some some experiences that you have with this kind of oh, play. Oh, absolutely. And uh, today we are talking about blood play. And even though I don't know anything about it, fortunately for us, Dawn, we took a ride in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened in that car with us, we had one of the other presenters that was presenting at this conference that we were going to. And we struck up a conversation and we talked about cars and living in the RV because that's what kinky people talk about. But we also talked about our topic for today, blood play. So Travis, thanks very much for being on the show. Oh, thank you, Dan and Don. Great to be here. It was a uh, great talking to y'all in Texas as well. Yeah. And it was a, a lot of fun. It's always neat for us when we get to interact with other people that are doing presenting and doing things similar to what we're doing, but outside of talking about, Oh, you know, blah, blah, the, the presenting part of it, just talk about real life stuff and to, to just run into people as, as regular old people. Funny thing as related to that same event, we were sitting next to other presenters on the flight home. And it was really weird because we don't get a chance to really talk to other presenters. So that was kind of cool being in the car with you and having a conversation at all. Usually we're all at the event and running around and doing our thing. Well, and, and y'all were a little scary, to be honest, but we, we made it. We were fine, so. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> Not a word I'm used to hearing. <laughs> so let me start off by saying when we talk about blood play, well, what exactly are we talking about? Are we talking about? I mean, like, is is it needles, knives, and and vampires, <laughs> menstrual? What, hey. what is? Well, that, yeah, that might so count too, right? Yeah, yeah, that that's a, that's a great question. So, honestly, under the umbrella of blood play, would be anything that opens up the body and lets blood come out, uh, which could include menstrual blood, uh, but that's not not most typically what we mean. So usually when we're talking about blood play, we're talking needles, staples, sutures, artistic cutting. Uh, we're talking about maybe uh, doing scarification with flame, um, maybe doing vein taps, which is where you just draw the blood out to play with. Almost anything inside of a BDSM concept that would let blood out of the body would be would be construed as blood play. And, and sometimes we get into blood play not meaning to if you're doing a heavy impact scene and you break the skin, 
that becomes blood play and, and it becomes blood play even if it wasn't the intention because of the safety concerns around bloodborne pathogens and, and those things that go with it as well. So once blood leaves the body, uh, whatever you're doing becomes blood play. Well, and that's one of the questions that I was going to ask is because, Dan, do you remember the needle demo that I did? Yeah, I absolutely remember this, that. Yeah. I, I forget where it was. I know it was kind of Northwest-ish. It's probably Edmonton or Southwest Leatherfest, but I was the demo bottom for needles. And then the teacher that was teaching it found out what the next class was, decided that was a trigger for him. So he needed to get out fast. So he ripped all the needles out and then put a big bandage on me, a big thing of galls and said, you're now a walking biohazard. Don't touch anybody. <laughs> Part of me thought it was really cool because I was in headspace, right? It's like, I'm a walking biohazard. This is awesome. But that's my question for you. I mean, that is a biohazard. How do you deal with the safety part? Because I find myself not wanting to do like needles with people that I don't know because of the safety part. How do you deal with that? So, so that's a great question. Actually, I told you you were scary. You were a walking biohazard. <laughs> so it just proved my point. So when you're moving in, into blood play, especially intentional blood play, that should be part of the negotiation is how well do I know this person? Am I comfortable with them? Ideally, uh, the chances of, of contamination of a bloodborne pathogen are going to be be slim, but they can never be zero. So some of the questions you should be asking, both from the bottom to the top and the top to the bottom, is questions about, do you have any bloodborne pathogens? Do you have STDs that are bloodborne? Do you have any of these things we're worried about uh, contaminating me or someone else in the environment. Like if you're in a, if you're in a dungeon and you're doing needles and, and you drop a needle on the floor, someone else could inadvertently get stuck. Mm. Um, but then in addition to that, there's other safety factors that you have to, that you have to ask about anemia. Do you have, you know, are you a, a slow clotter? Do you bleed a lot? Do you, all of those questions come into the other side of the medical aspect as well. So it is intentional blood play when you know you're going to be drawing blood. There's specific safety precautions that are fairly standard that we have. And then, and then there are specific negotiations that should take place to help mitigate the danger to both of the participants in the blood play scene, as well as to mitigate any danger to those in the surrounding area, right? Who haven't, haven't negotiated the blood play and haven't consented to it. You know, we have to be aware of, of what could happen to them or they could be exposed to as well. So let's walk through some of that. So I am going to, while Dawn is sitting next to me here, we're going to go ahead and do some blood play. But, but I want to ask a question or I want to make a statement really fast. Is that okay before you do the negotiation? As, as long as the now. statement's not, <laughs> no, you're not. But... No, 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 but I, I wanted to point out that you said during negotiation that it's not just about asking the bottom who is getting cut or pierced or whatever about their bloodborne status. It's also about the bottom, the submissive asking the top, the dominant, because it's very possible that even though there's not intentional cutting of the top, you're dealing with scalpels, knives, needles, and things happen. So. Yeah, yeah. absolutely correct. So one of, one of the dangers is that if the only person whose skin gets punctured is the bottom and no one else gets punctured, then there's still a risk of bloodborne pathogen, but it, it's lower, right? 
it's harder to get transmission through skin contact or anything like that. If it's a mucous membrane, it's more more likely. So, but but typically it's harder. But if the top has open wounds on them from something else, if their if their cuticles are like open or whatever, that could present a problem. But then it, the other issue is if you're piercing the needle into someone and then you poke yourself accidentally, you've now introduced the chance for contamination from them to you. And then if you pull the needle back through, you've now mm-hmm. introduced contamination from you to them. Or if you have an open wound and you cut or stab yourself and your blood drops onto them into that open wound, you've you know you've had the chance of transmission from from the top to the bottom. So it's equally important that both people disclose any risk or any issues they have or any, anything they know about with blood wound pathogens. But even then, they may not know. So you still want to use a very high standard of safety practices because someone could have a bloodborne pathogen and and no one know about it and still you could still you know get some type of, of cross-contamination that can happen. So do you ever get people at this point? When you're presenting on this topic to say something like, maybe they'll say, Alexa, stop. Because my Alexa alarm was going (laughs) off. But then they might say, Travis, stop. And it's simply too dangerous. From what you're describing, it sounds like it's simply too dangerous. I think there's a lot of people that blood play does not fit into the side their risk profile. And that's completely fine. Or there's people who it might fit into their risk profile with a fluid bonded partner, Mm -hmm. but not with anyone else. So I think that's pretty standard. But typically, if if people are coming to a presentation, they may be coming just to learn about it with no intention of ever doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do that often. I'll I'll go to presentations on things I would never want to do, but I still want to know about it because I want to be able to, to articulate or discourse on it. So I've never had anyone in the class say, Alexa, stop, or, or Travis, stop, <laughs> either. But, but people have raised concerns about, well, well, what is the real risk? Like, How much risk are we actually taking? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a question that I can't answer. I know that in 20 plus years, 25 plus years of doing blood play, I have never accidentally pierced myself with a needle or cut myself with a knife. But it could happen tomorrow. So I think my risk is very low because I've been doing it for a long time. I, I understand how to control my environment as much as possible. I'm good at the risk mitigation. But if this is your first time doing it, then then yeah, your risk, your risk might be higher to have an accident or a unintentional, you know, poking or cutting or stabbing of someone. So Okay. So let's let's get into me actually doing this with Dawn. So we are already fluid bonded partners and we are familiar with each other's risk profile and we're both fairly confident we're STI free and all that. And this is just verbal. It's not like someone listening to the podcast is missing a visual, <laughs> right? No, no, I've got, oh, I've you got, got, you got, you got, I have a serrated right knife there. right here. Nice. No. So <laughs> <A> steak knife. <laughs> if we take out that no. aspect of it, what, from a safety perspective, other than an antiseptic wipe, what else do I need to do to prepare Dawn to, or myself for that matter, for beginning to do some kind of intentional blood play? Physically, okay. mentally, or both? Physically in this case. Physically, okay. Physically. 
So that's a great question. So I like to talk about whenever we're talking about blood play is you might go to a class somewhere and you hear someone talk about keeping a sterile environment. We in our in our world will never have a sterile environment. Sterile means hospital room, hospital operating room ready, massive air filters, everything 1000% clean as much as possible. So what we're looking for is a sanitized environment. Now, you should be using sterile implements, whether it's a scalpel, whether it's a needle, whether it's a suture needle, and they're going to be sterile up until the moment that you open that package, right? The moment you open the package, they're no longer sterile because okay. they come in contact with the air. So what we're worried about is the main thing that we're worried about is we don't want to introduce organisms or any type of, of things from the surface of the skin underneath the skin. Our skin is a really great safety barrier for our body. It does a very, very good job of keeping out icky things for the most part, right? There's a few things that can go through your skin. So we want to, to clean the area of the skin. But furthermore, and this is a great setup question. So if I'm going to do needles or scalpels, the first thing I like to do as a top is have everything out that I need. I want to have my gloves out. I want to have my wipes out. I want to have anything I'm going to possibly need, including the bandages I'm going to need when we're done. Hmm. Because once you've started the blood play, it isn't the time to try to be digging through things and find things. And if you do that, you're losing some control of keeping your environment as sanitized as you can. Okay. So I want to try to prepare a sanitized area, whether if I'm laying things on a table, I like to use a sterile cloth, the sterile again, up until you open it have everything laid out. One of the, the critical things that we want to have is a sharps container. So that as soon as we're done with that sharps, whatever it is, it can go into the sharps container. That's going to mitigate someone getting poked or stabbed inadvertently by just picking something up. The next thing that we want to do is we're typically we want to wear uh, some type of gloves, latex gloves, uh, nitriles better. We want to, that's another point of negotiation. Like if you're allergic to latex, I don't want to wear latex gloves. Right, I'm going to wear a nitrile or some other type of glove. So the person to be fairly comfortable. One of the challenges we have in a dungeon is lighting. If we're in a dungeon in a play space area that's dark, you know, just seeing what you're doing can be a challenge. So I actually have a special light system that we use that I love that I can get light exactly where I need it, but it's not going to be blinding other people that are across the dungeon doing a fogging scene or whatever. So we get we get the person laid out. We get all our stuff laid out. We're keeping everything as sanitized as we can. And then we want to clean their skin. So that area that we're going to work in, we want to clean that. Alcohol swabs are, are what a lot of people use. I moved to using chloroprep. This was a, a conversation months ago with another couple of blood players. And, and chloroprep is, is considered a little bit better than alcohol swabs for sanitizing the skin area, for cleaning it. There's a lot of different chemicals you can use. I recommend ones that come in the pre-sold pouches. They're easier to transport. I'm not worried about spilling a bottle of alcohol or green soap or something like that. Also, once you break the seal on a bottle of alcohol and it gets air contact, it starts losing efficacy. So mm. you know, six months later, you're using the same bottle of alcohol where it's not near as potent as it was when you first opened it. So using the, the sealed packages, um, you know, the little wipes that you get, that's really ideal. Um, so we've got everything laid out. We've got the person comfortable. You're comfortable because this may take some time to do. Um, you've cleaned the top. You've cleaned the area of the skin. At that point, in my opinion, you've taken the reasonable precautions that you can 
I also want to look at my environment. Are people walking by really close? Is someone going to jostle me or whatever? If that's the case, I would have someone, you know, standing by to, to prevent that from happening. You don't want to be cutting someone with a scalpel and all of a sudden you get bumped and go too deep. That could be a bad day for people, right? So, so those are the things we're looking at as far as, as sanitizing the skin, the area, keeping it as clean as you can, having a plan for exactly what you're going to do, ready to handle some situations that may happen. Sometimes people may bleed more than you expect. I, I keep a coagulating powder on me, on my station, so I can handle if they decide they want to bleed a lot, I'm not expecting. The other thing is, is uh, safety-wise is watching them for signs of fainting because mm-hmm. um, you don't want them to faint and hit the deck, especially if you're in a hot, stuffy place and you're doing blood play. Uh, people very well contend to start to kind of get that fainting sensation. And if they blink out and now you haven't prepared for that and they fall and hit their nose, and now we have a broken nose versus a, a needle suit, right? So those are some of the basic safety precautions that, that we like to take. And so did that? Yeah, I, I, that was a great answer to my five seconds of, well, I, wipe, I whip out an antiseptic wipe. And you're 10 minutes of actually what you really want to do. And I very much actually, honestly, very much appreciate that. There's when you do riskier kind of play, it's well reasonable to take as many precautions as you possibly can. Now, so, so but I, I have a question as the person coming in as the bottom. Is there anything that I need to do to prepare physically before we actually play? So it just popped into my head. Do I need to not be drinking caffeine because it could thin the blood? Should I drink water, not drink water? Do those things actually matter when it comes to, because you went to have a blood test recently, Dan, and they couldn't draw your blood. Mm -hmm. And the first thing they asked you was if you had hydrated. So does that matter? Yeah, yeah, it does matter. Obviously hydration is important pretty much for before any scene. You want you want the person to be hydrated. There are some things that, that tend to promote bleeding. Alcohol promotes bleeding, although I, I don't play with people who have been drinking, nor do I play if I've been drinking. So that's a non-factor, but I know people who do. If if you drink alcohol, you're gonna bleed typically more freely, more easily. Aspirin. Aspirin's a blood thinner. You know, I, I've talked with people about who are having a hard time bruising and you know, if you want bruises after you're seen, well, aspirin's a, a fairly safe way to to help promote bruising, uh, although that might Ooh. be controversial for some people. They yeah, take yeah. aspirin, one aspirin a couple of days, you know, before you're seen, a few days before you're seen, one a day, it can, it can help that. Also, you know, if they're on any type of blood thinner or blood vessel dilator or anything like that. Now, typically when we're doing blood play, we're not going into the vessels, the blood vessels themselves. But, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll, I'll either draw blood intentionally with a, a venipuncture kit and draw the blood either and put it in a vial or, you know, draw it and put it in a bag or a cup or whatever. So those would matter more for that. So, but also as the bottom, you want to hydrate, obviously. You want to think about where do I want this at, right? Because we can't control scarring. Scarring being defined as any blemish to your skin you wasn't born with. So it's very unlikely to scar from a needle, but but you could. Or you yeah. might have marks for a week or two or three. So where, where are we working on our body at? Are there parts of that body that I, that I need to not have any scars or marks? There's questions to ask. Being comfortable where you're at. 
one thing, you know, I talk with my bottoms about, or I recommend the bottoms is you know, think about your environment. Are you going to get too hot? Are you going to get too sweaty? Those mm -hmm. things are things that you can take steps to control. But for the most part, you know, once the scene starts, the bottom does lose uh, some control over their environment because they're lying down, they're facing up. They don't have as much awareness of the environment as the top does because they're more restricted, typically, if you're doing needles or scaffolds or whatever in, in their motion. If you're doing something like hooks or hook suspension or hook pulls, they have a little bit more awareness of the environment, typically with that. But but yeah, so it was the, the bottom, I think, in some ways, we think of it as easier and maybe less things to actually physically do, but there's definitely things they need to think about as they approach a scene like this and, and how they want it done, so. Yeah. And I actually do have a scar from that biohazard moment. Mm -hmm. So I've got a scar, but it, it's like a little badge of honor. I have to really look for it now. It was like 10 years ago, but it's still there. Yet I did not scar from the flush pool, the hook pool. So that's weird. That is weird. So I've got Dawn in a comfortable position. I've got our environment. I've got my, my setup done. We're as sterile as we can. How am I actually going to get blood out of her? And, and I know that there's a variety of ways, but let's start with for for a newbie, somebody who says, look, I want to get into blood play because it's really erotic. But how and am primal I primal and erotic? And right. Mm, how, what's rough. the what's the, the best way for a newbie to to get blood from Dawn without harming me? So hopefully that goes without. Hopefully that goes with this. Wait, we we want Dawn to live or not live? After live. This? Live is good. <laughs> Dead is oh. red. So let, let's let's do this. You've got about eight pints in you. You can lose about two and be okay, but you probably shouldn't go that far, <laughs> right? So, uh, so, but that's this is a good part of the negotiation. What is the purpose of the scene? For many people, the blood might be a byproduct of the scene. I.e., they want to experience needles. They want a really pretty needle design, and they you know they want a, like a, a flower or some kind of pattern, or they want maybe their breasts stapled together, or maybe they want their vagina you know, sutured together. So, and and yeah, that's great. We, we I see you looking over there. Yeah. So, Don, so, Don, Don says yes to yeah. all of the above. In this so case in, though, we, we want blood, so for this, we want blood not because yeah. of needles, but if needles happen, our goal here is blood. So blood for the sake of blood. If, if the goal is blood, then I would, as a bottom, I would want to find a top that knows how to do, to basically draw blood from a vein. Uh, but um, in this case, where Dawn's stuck with me. She's so stuck again, with we're, <laughs> I want to go with a newbie, right? Somebody who's new to it. So when, how are we going to get started? So when you look at blood, there's places on the body that bleed more than others. For instance, the scalp. You'll see a lot of needle scenes that don't have very much blood on them at all. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's say if you put needles along the top of someone's scalp, right at the hairline, and then you manipulate those needles some, uh, and when you pull them out, you typically get a full entire face full of blood. If you if the purpose is blood, then scalpels typically are a better avenue to go than needles. Scalpels, I recommend scalpels much more than knives. Knives are fun to play with. When I'm trying to get blood or do cutting, I like scalpels because I have a lot more control over the pressure and the depth. You want to absolutely stay away from arteries and, and major veins. But other than that, I would take a scalpel. I'd cut about a millimeter to two millimeters deep, and you're going to start getting blood come out. In different places, the body are going to bleed more. Once you get that blood out, some people really enjoy playing with it. 
taking that blood and, and painting or I partners I'm fluid bonded with. I love nothing more than just wiping the blood and smear it on their face. Uh, some people really enjoy licking or drinking their own blood or and or the other partner's blood as well. So mm -hmm. that's another thing you can do with it. But if the intent is to get blood, scalpels are a better way to go. Doing a, a vein puncture is a great way to go get the blood out. Needles in of themselves, like when you're just poking needles through, typically not that much blood comes out. A drop or two. So it kind of sounds like this is something that you would want some training in before you actually try. I mean, you can listen to our podcast, but nah, I I'm would good. suggest. Training. So I'm going to grab me a scalpel <laughs> and I'm going to go for a millimeter or two deep. Are there like, do scalpels come in gauges like needles do? Is there certain? Nope, just go. Yeah, yeah. So scalpels come in profiles, which, okay. is, the, which okay. is the profile, the shape of the blade. The profile that I recommend for the vast majority of type of, of cutting is a number eleven profile. And this is just a lot of artistic cutting. If you want to cut designs, if you <laughs> just want to cut the skin, any scalpel would do. I recommend the number eleven profile, which is you can get on Amazon. Anybody can go buy it. You'll see a lot of people with a number ten. The number 10 is much less controllable. You don't have near as much control of doing fine work with it as you do with the number 11. Then there's about 41 total blade profiles for scalpels. There's about seven or eight that are the most prolific out there. And there's seven or eight blade profiles that you can get on Amazon for, you know, you get a, a, a pack of uh, disposable for about 12 bucks and there's 10 or 12 in there. Uh, one note with that, if you're getting into this, I recommend getting the completely disposable scalpels. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a molded plastic handle with the blade attached. You throw the whole thing away. Um, reusable scalpel blades are cheaper where you have the metal handle and you put a blade on it. The problem is, is putting the blade on and off, you have a greater, much greater chance of cutting yourself. And then also there's the fact that you have to clean that handle somehow. I personally have an autoclave, so I'm able to I'm able to prep a lot of my stuff with my autoclave. Once I autoclave it, it's sterile for six months or until I open the package. So if I haven't used something in six months, I'll I'll re-autoclave it. But it was worth it to me to make that investment. Not you don't need it, right? But I did that. So yeah, so get the scalpels that are completely disposable, not the ones that have removable blades, and and to start slow, cut very quickly and it's exactly this is what they're designed for they're designed. Mm -hmm. so start very slow on what you're doing proceed with some caution don't just grab a scalpel and start uh, whacking away because you may have some <laughs> results if you do that it, it occurs to me as we're having this conversation it reminds me that many years ago i went to a cutting class and the presenter was showing how to do cutting on a on raw chicken. And I just about passed out watching that. So maybe this may not be the best kind of play for me, <laughs> but let's say, heck, I'm going to go for it. I knew I'm going to avoid arteries and, and stuff like that. So that to me says avoid the neck, avoid wrist, but I'm not a big medical guy. So what body part is good for a newbie? Or is it easier to say always avoid this part and this part? That's a, a great question. Uh, the tops of the thighs are, are pretty safe places to do this. 
any large muscle group, right? Your top of your thigh is a very large muscle group. You do have some nerves in there. You have some veins in there. The the breasts are, are, are a very great point. Just a couple of big bags of fat, really, right? So we're not going to do too much. Uh, you know, we're not. They're not going to bleed out from having the breast cut. So those are some of the safest places. Definitely avoid the neck. But but I would caution that if you want to move into this type of play, as with many other types of more edge play, you need to start educating yourself on, on the body. And it all ties together, right? So if you, you, you start learning where things are at in the body, I, I, so now I know where my nerves are at, right? I know where all my major nerves are at. I don't want to cut those. Well, now if I move into to pressure points, well, I've already learned where the nerves are at. So I know mm. how the body works there. Or if I move into impact, I know, you know, don't beat on the side of the leg too much because there's a major nerve bundle that runs there that you can cause damage to. So if you're moving into more edge play, the specifically on the top, but the bottom, I think there's a responsibility to start educating yourself. And it's really great because now when, when I started, I'm not sure when y'all started, but I started basically in 1993, the availability of this information was much, much more limited. Mm -hmm. There are some YouTube channels that are done by PhD instructors meant for medical students that are just amazing. There's YouTube channels on all the advanced suturing techniques that are meant for medical students, but anyone can go on that YouTube channel and watch a professor of suturing um, Mm -hmm. teach how to suture or teach how to cut or teach how to do all of these things. So you can take some time, learn some basic safety, learn the basic body systems and how they work. You should be doing that if you want to do this kind of play. Okay, great. Obviously, we're just scratching the topic. Ha ha. And we can (laughs) draw a lot more out of this. (laughs) Where's my little button for that? Uh, You're not. Yeah, you're not very. You're not very punny, Dan. So. Uh, (laughs) And I don't want to. Try and draw blood from a stone. Just had to get that in. But one more question for you, if you don't mind. If I'm sure that throughout your experience, you've had situations where you've meant to do something and it turned out to not be what you intended, what you intended, whether you you received probably in in this for this conversation. I thought I would get a couple drops of blood and I'm getting a stream of blood. What do you say to the bottom at that point? Or do you not say anything because you're... You just go with the flow. Oh, man. (laughs) I got one. (laughs) I mean, if you want to do a mind fog, you can just go, oops. (laughs) (laughs) That that works. You know, typically, if if something is going wrong, I I let them know because we're in this together at that point, right? The, the most common thing is either someone looking like they're going to faint or, or fainting or, or them bleeding more than we expected or them going, oh, fuck, no, I don't, I don't like this. This <laughs> want to stop. Well, that's an easy one because we, we just stop, right? Mm-hmm. For, for those who are bleeding, this is where being uh, prepared ahead of time helps. And I learned this the hard way. Like if I'm going to do needles or unless I'm going to do a cutting and I figure I'm going to, you know, need two or three gauze bandages, I'll, I'll get out 15 and they're there if I need them. Mm. Also, I, I have out coagulating powder or clotting powder that I rarely ever need, but if I need it, it's, it's right there. I can open it. I can, I can stop some blood from coming out. 
Also, I didn't mention, I also, I use smelling salts or ammonia pads. Oh, yeah. So if someone's passing out, fainting, I can get them back uh, very quickly that way. I keep those only when I do breath play as well, just in case someone goes out a little bit more than I wanted them to. That nice ammonia pops them, their body goes, what was that? Let me wake up, (laughs) right? So yeah, especially if they're bleeding more than I'm expecting, I'll let them know. I'm like, hey, you're, you're bleeding quite a bit. Just sit still let me let me deal with this because if they get up and start walking around now we have blood everywhere right Right. so we'll let them know that and then i'll typically have everything i need out to deal with that some of that comes with experience another thing with blood play is thinking about the body position if they're laying on their stomach and i'm cutting on their back that blood's going to pretty much stay right where it's at but if they're if they're sitting up let's say they're in a massage chair and their back is now vertical and i'm cutting that blood's going to drain down. So how do I stop it from getting on their clothes or going on the floor or whatever? And and some of that uh, is is common sense, but you don't think about it until you experience it a couple of times. And then you learn how to kind of plan around that and, and mitigate that being less of an issue. So Very cool. Smelling salts would have been great for us when you did the needles on that one girl that was on hands up and she passed out from endorphins. That wasn't even from pain. That was from endorphins. Yuck. And she she passed out and we had to get her down fast. One needle. So sometimes you don't even know how your body's going to respond to these things. So yeah, good, you, good you, to know. You, you never know what you might want to have in that toy bag. <laughs> yeah. and, and it can respond different this month than it did last month, right? So right. Uh, just because you've done it 10 times with no problems doesn't mean the 11th time you might not encounter something new. So. So Travis, obviously we've just scratched this topic a little bit and you could obviously keep going about blood play, breath play, and the variety of other things that you're a well-respected teacher for. If someone wanted to either find out where you were presenting at, or maybe they want you to come out and present for them, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah. So on Fet Life, I'm Travis with no dashes or underscores, just plain Travis. And then also I have an email. It's Travis at elegantsuffering.net. On my on my profile, on my list of events, but it's a pretty long list is typically where I'm presenting at. And then, but if they want me to come out, I'd you know, love to travel. So I believe uh, in 23, I will have done 11 or 12 conventions all over the, the Eastern Seaboard and venturing out towards Texas and a couple other states. So it's, it's what I enjoy. Let me come, let me come spend a weekend with a bunch of kinksters. I can think of nothing else better to do. Fantastic. Oh, I hear you. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, hang out with us uncomfortably for a little bit while we wrap this thing up. We might be seeing you, Travis, in either Tucson, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio, or one of the other places our peoples can come see us. But of course, they may not remember all the places that we're presenting at. So keep up with all our events, book news, discount, and more via, 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 via the Erotic Awakening newsletter. And, of course, get your EA shout-outs like Frankie from Montana, Danny from Kentucky, Kentucky. T from Coast Salish. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Marcel and- <laughs> from Florida. Awesome. Head over to eroticawakening.com and subscribe today. Don, that is pretty much everything that we've got in the, the show notes, except for tentacles. Have, <laughs> before you get into your tentacles, which might be the answer to my question. Ooh, okay. Is there any kind of play that you enjoy doing mm-hmm. that you prefer to do it with somebody who's not me? Oh, 
No, tentacles is not the answer. We've got <laughs> video of tentacle stuff with me that you did. Yeah, that true, was cool. Fair, and I've fair. done tentacle stuff with Bad Bunny. That a few was a years back. Scene. That was an awesome scene. But get your and, mind um, out of the tentacles. Okay, so what would I like to do? You know, is there any kind of play that you like to do with someone uh, that's not me more than you like with like with doing it with me? So I can only think of one or two scenes because usually you and I are really, really, really compatible, right? Mm -hmm. But the suturing scene that I did, do you yep. remember that? From oh my god, that's what. 18 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. I did it with someone that I bought in a top bottom auction, but I knew the person and I knew he was a nurse and I wanted to specifically play with him because of that. And he was into sutures. So that was really cool talking about blood play. I don't think that would be something that you would be interested in. That was sutures and staples and wire and all that type of stuff. So maybe you would get into that now, but he was a nurse. So that was something I preferred to do with him. Single tales with, nope, not going to mention his name and I'm not allowed to call him the other name anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so single tales with him, but you've done dragon tales and stuff before. I like the dragon tales with you, but I like the single tales with him. That's his thing. Okay. I think in general, it's simply fun to do things and site. Let me, let me actually back off that for a second. You're saying you don't think I'd be interested in doing suture play because 18 years ago, I wasn't interested in it. And Keep we haven't mind, talked about it since then. Right. But in the last, what, two years, I've got all kinds of new kinks that coming up. That is true. And so. at least two of them were ones that you or I were not interested in. 20 some years ago and now we are so things change things grow what about you travis is there a particular style or a particular type of play that you prefer to do with somebody but not somebody else i yeah that's a great question i i have a, a very large range of play that i that i like to do i have a few partners uh scene partners who are extremely heavy masochists so we get to do a lot of things but there's there's one particular thing i i very much like service and protocol. And I only do that with my partners. I don't do that with anyone but my partners. So. Okay. So not a pickup play sort of thing. Not for, not for boot flacking. Yeah, I'll use a boot flack wherever. But when it comes to cigar service or, or coffee service or any type of protocol, ritual based things that we do, that's, that's strictly dynamic for me. You nice. are explaining how it is that you get your cup of coffee prepared before we start the podcast. If I came over to your house, could I get a cup of coffee all fancy pants like that? Uh, no, unless Don, <laughs> unless Don wanted to make it for you. Oh. Good to know. No, so, wait. So Connie would gladly bring you a cup of coffee, but not in the same manner that she brings it to me. Okay. I have a feeling a lot of our stories are around coffee. Anybody that goes to our presentations know that a lot of our stories are around coffee. Why do I have this feeling that something's going to change in the RV? We've been looking for new rituals. <laughs> Why do I have a feeling coffee may be it? From now you on, Don, when I want a cup of coffee, I want you to go out to our garden, harvest the coffee beans, no. bring them in there. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't actually know what you do to prepare a coffee bean, but actually, <laughs> I, I know want, what you I know. do. Wait, I know what I want you to do. I want you to chase around a variety of animals and capture and feed them coffee no. and then capture their poop. No, then that's when a they thing. Poop out coffee beans. No, that's a thing. Yeah, no, I, know it's a I don't thing. want to do poop play. Poop plays red. <laughs> but but you have <laughs> sent me out in the dark down dirt roads in Kansas 
middle of Kansas in the field looking for a latte. That's very true. So even true. though I didn't have to fix it, I had to get in the truck before sunrise and try to find him a latte in this little itty bitty town. If you, you find it. I did. Yes, yes, you were successful. Where I thought I was going to find it, but I found it. Yes. Well, a latte is always the last place you look, so. Uh, true. You're true. not wrong. Yes. <laughs> if you are out there thinking that you know the animal that has coffee poop come out of their butt or know what the hell I'm talking about, you can get a hold of us via the Erotic Awakening podcast. But first, Dawn. Tentacles. It, and wants to talk about the tentacles. <laughs> because Enigma always sends me awesome tentacle pictures on our Discord channel. You so. hear that, Chip? That's oh, the gauntlet's Chip going the, down. Chip the tentacle guy. Oh, where's our blanket that's got his t-shirt cut out on it? So anyway, we have awesome stuff. But how do they get up with us, Dan? Wait, what about it? What did Enigma send you? Oh, it was, it looked You're like. You're so excited about I know, us about this. But this one was, I usually like like the anime sort of tentacle sex, but this one was looked more real, like a tentacle monster. And it was a little movie about it. So. And it was but an actual human being getting yes, tentacle yes. fucked. So that was odd, but hot. Fun. <laughs> and fun, indeed. Be a part of the Erotic Awakening podcast community. You can support us on Patreon and get early access to the podcast, a free version of the audiobook, Polyamory Toolkit, free ebooks, member-only Discord access, and other content. Find all the goodies at patreon.com slash erotic awakening today. Help, <laughs> help others find us. Take a moment to support the podcast. Rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Or just tell your friends. Join the conversation with us and other listeners. Use the links for from the Erotic Awakening website for our growing Discord channel. Feel free to reach out to us. We love interacting with you. Contact us with questions, podcast comments, or just to say hi. You can find us on FitLife as Dan and Dawn. We are Erotic Awakening on Instagram. Or email us, Dan and Dawn at eroticawakening.com. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn.